Chapter One of In the Footprints of the Padres by Charles Warren Stoddard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One Old Days in El Dorado. Nine Social San Francisco. Social San Francisco during the early fifties seems to have been a conglomeration of unexpected externals and surprising interiors. It was heterogeneous to the last degree it was hail fellow well met with a reservation it asked no questions for conscience sake it would not have been safe to do so there were too many pasts in the first families and too many possible futures to permit one to cast a shadow upon the other and after all is said if sins may be forgiven and atoned for why should the memory of a shady past imperil the happiness and prosperity of the future all futures should be hopeful they were promise crammed in that healthy and hearty city by the sea it was impossible not to say impolite to inquire into your neighbor's antecedents it was currently believed that the mines were filled with broken-down divines as if it were but a step from the pulpit to the pickaxe as for one's family it was far better off in the old home so long as the salary of a servant was seventy dollars a month fresh eggs a dollar and a quarter a dozen turkeys ten dollars apiece and coal fifty dollars a ton in eighteen fifty four and eighteen fifty five san francisco had a monthly magazine that any city or state might have been proud of this was the pioneer edited by the rev ferdinand c ewer in eighteen fifty one a lady the wife of a physician went with her husband into the mines and settled at rich bar and indian bar two neighboring camps on the north fork of the feather river there were but three or four other women in that part of the country and one of these died this lady wrote frequent and lengthy descriptive letters to a sister in new england and these letters were afterward published serially in the pioneer they picture life as a highly accomplished woman knew it in the camps and among the people whom bret hart has immortalized she called herself dame shirley and the shirley letters in the pioneer are the most picturesque vivid and valuable record of life in a california mining camp that i know of the wonder is that they have never been collected and published in book form for they have become a part of the history of the development of the state the life of a later period in san francisco and monterey has been faithfully depicted by another hand the life that was a mixture of gringo and diluted castilian a life that smacked of the presidio and the hacienda that was a tale worth telling and no one has told it so freely so fully or so well as gertrude franklin atherton dame shirley was mrs l a c clapp when her husband died she went to san francisco and became a teacher in the union street public school it was this admirable lady who made literature my first love and to her tender mercies i confided my maiden efforts in the art of composition she readily forgave me then and was the very first to offer me encouragement and from that hour to this she has been my faithful friend and unfailing correspondent south park and rincon hill 
do the native sons of the golden west ever recall those names and think what dignity they once conferred upon the favored few who basked in the sunshine of their prosperity south park with its line of omnibuses running across the city to north beach its long narrow oval filled with dusty foliage and offering a very weak apology for a park its two rows of houses with a formal air all looking very much alike and all evidently feeling their importance there were young people's parties in those days and the height of felicity was to be invited to them as a height or tops a hollow so rincon hill looked down upon south park there was more elbow-room on the breezy height not that the height was so high or so broad but it was breezy and there was room for the breeze to blow over garden that spread about the detached houses their wealth of colour and perfume how are the mighty fallen the hill of course had the farthest to fall south parkites merely moved out they went to another and a better place there was a decline in respectability and the rent roll and no one thinks of south park now at least no one speaks of it above a whisper as for the hill the hill lights hung on through everything the waves of commerce washed all about it and began gnawing at its base a deep gully was cut through it and there a great tide of traffic ebbed and flowed all day at night it was dangerous to pass that way without a revolver in one's hand for that city is not a city in the barbarous south seas whither preachers of the gospel of peace are sent but is a civilized city and proportionately unsafe a cross street was lowered a little and it leaped the chasm in an agony of wood and iron the most unlovely object in a city that is made up of all unloveliness the gutting of this hill cost the city the fortunes of several contractors and it ruined the hill forever there is nothing left to be done now but to cast it into the midst of the sea i had sported on the green with the goats of goatland ere ever the stately mansion had been dreamed of and it was my fate to set up my tabernacle one day in the ruins of a house that even then stood upon the order of its going it did go impulsively down into that most unkindest cut the second street chasm even the place that once knew it has followed after the ruin i lived in had been a banker's gothic home when rincon hill was spoiled by bloodless speculators he abandoned it and took up his abode in another city a tenant was left to mourn there every summer the wild winds shook that forlorn ruin to its foundations every winter the rains beat upon it and drove through and through it and undermined it and made a mush of the rock and soil about it and later portions of that real estate deposited themselves pudding fashion in the yawning abyss below i sat within patiently awaiting the day of doom for well i knew that my hour must come i could not remain suspended in mid-air for any length of time the fall of the house at the northwest corner of harrison and second streets must mark my fall while i was biding my time there came to me a lean lithe stranger i knew him for a poet by his unshorn locks and his luminous eyes the pallor of his face and his exquisitely sensitive hands 
as he looked about my eerie with aesthetic glance almost his first words were what a background for a novel he seemed to relish it all the impending crag that might topple any day or hour the modest side door that had become my front door because the rest of the building was gone the ivy-roofed geranium-walled conservatory wherein i slept like a babe in the wood but in densest solitude and with never a robin to cover me he liked the crumbling estate and even as much of it as had gone down into the depths forever he liked the sagging and sighing cypresses with their roots in the air that hung upon and clung upon the rugged edge of the remainder he liked the shaky stairway that led to it when it was not out of gear and all that was irrelative and irrelevant what might have been irritating to another was to him singularly appealing and engaging for he was a poet and a romancer and his name was robert louis stevenson he used to come to that eyrie on rincon hill to chat and to dream he called it the most san francisco-y part of san francisco and so it was it was the beginning and the end of the first period of social development on the pacific coast there is a picture of it or of the south park part of it in gertrude atherton's story the californians the little glimpse that louis stevenson had of it in its decay gave him a few realistic pages for the wrecker i have referred to the surprising interiors of the city in the fifties what i meant was this there was not an alley so miserable and so muddy but somewhere in it there was pretty sure to be a cottage as demure in outward appearance as modesty itself nothing could be more unassuming it had not even the air of genteel poverty i think such an air was not to be thought of in those days gentility kept very much to itself as for poverty it was a game that any one might play at any moment and most had played at it this cottage stood there i think i will say sat there it looked so perfectly resigned and no doubt commanded a rent quite out of proportion to its size it had its shaky veranda and its french windows and was lined with canvas for there was not a trowelful of plaster in it the ceiling bellied and flapped like an awning when the wind soughed through the clapboards and the walls sometimes visibly heaved a sigh but they were covered with panelled paper quite palatial in texture and design and that is one thing that made these interiors surprising at the windows the voluminous lace draperies were almost overpowering satin lambreguines were festooned with colossal cord and tassels of bullion a plate-glass mirror as wide as the mantel reflected the florentine gilt carving of its own elaborate frame there were bronzes on the mantel and tall vases of sevres and statuettes of bisque brilliantly tinted at the two sides of the mantel stood pedestals of italian marble surmounted by urns of the most graceful and elegant proportions and profusely ornamented with sculptured fruits and flowers there was the old-fashioned square piano in its carven case and cabinets from china or east india also a lacquered japanese screen marble-topped tables of filigreed teak brackets of inlaid ebony curios there were galore some paintings were there 
and these rocked softly upon the gently heaving walls as for the velvet carpet it was a bed of gigantic roses that might easily put to the blush the prime of summer in a queen's garden i well remember another home in san francisco one that possessed for me the strongest attraction it was bosomed in the sand hills south of market street i know not between what streets for they had all been blurred or quite obliterated by drifts of sifting sand it was a small house fenced about but the fence was for the most part buried under sand and looked as if it were a rampart erected for the defence of this isolated cot some few hardy flowers had been planted there but they were knee-deep in sand and their petals were full of grit one usually blew into that house with a pinch of sand but how good it was to be there within those walls there was the unmistakable evidence of the feminine touch the aesthetic influence that refines and beautifies everything it was not difficult to idealize in that atmosphere it was the home of a lady who chose to conceal her identity though her pen name was a household word from one end of the coast to the other she was a star contributor to the weekly columns of the golden era a periodical we all subscribed for and were immensely proud of it was unique in its way of late years i have found no literary journal to compare with it at its best it introduced bret hart mark twain prentice mulford joaquin miller ina colbreth and many others to their first circle of admirers in the large mail-box at its threshold a threshold i dared not cross for awe of it i dropped my earliest efforts in verse and then ran for fear of being caught in the act imagine the joy of a lad whose ambition was to write something worth printing and whose wildest dream was to be named some day with those who had won their laurels in the field of letters imagine his joy at being petted in the sanctum of one who was in his worshipful eyes the greatest lady in the land about her were the trophies of her triumph though she was personally known to few each post brought her tribute from the grateful hearts of her readers afar off in the mountain mining camps and perhaps from beyond the rockies or it may have been from the unsuspecting admirer who lived just beyond the first sand-hill this was another surprising interior there was plain living and high thinking in the midst of a wilderness that was to say the least uninviting the windows rattled and the sand peppered them without was the abomination of desolation but within the desert blossomed as the rose there were other homes as homely as the one i preferred for there was sand enough to go around it went round and round as god probably intended it should until a city sat upon it and kept it quiet some of these homes were perched upon solitary hilltops and were lost to sight when the fog came in from the sea and some were crowded into the thick of the town with all sorts of queer people for neighbors you could had you chosen to look out of a back window into a hollow square full of cats and rats and tin cans and upon the three sides of the quadrangle which you were facing you might have seen unblushingly revealed all the mysteries and miseries of europe asia africa and oceanica for they were all of them represented by delegates 
of course there were handsome residences not so very many of them as yet where there was fine art some of the finest but often this art was to be found in the saloons and the subjects chosen would hardly find entertainment elsewhere the furnishing of the houses was within the bounds of good taste monumental marbles were not erected by the hearthside the window drapery was diaphanous rather than dense and dowdy the markets of san francisco were much to blame for the flashiness of the domestic interior they were stocked with the gaudiest fixtures and textures and in the inspection of them the eye was bewildered and the taste demoralized harmony survived the inharmonious and it prevailed in the homes of the better classes as it was bound to do for refinement had set its seal here and you cannot counterfeit the seal of refinement but i am inclined to think that in the fifties there was a natural tendency to overdress to overdecorate to overdo almost everything indeed the day was demonstrative if the now celebrated climate had not yet been elaborately advertised no doubt there was something in it singularly bracing the elixir of it got into the blood and the brain and perhaps the bones as well the old felt younger than they did when they left the states the territory from the rockies to the atlantic ocean was commonly known as the states the middle-aged renewed their youth and youth was wild with an exuberance of health and hope and happiness that seemed to give promise of immortality no wonder that it was thought an honor to be known as the first white child born in san francisco i'd think it such myself and i'm proud to state that all three claimants are my personal friends end of part nine